You're listening to the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Tactics and Decision-Making in a Self-Defense Situation. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, I just want to say, starting out here, I appreciate all the emails that I received wanting to make sure that I was okay. Uh, If you're not 100% sure on what I'm talking about, I did not release podcast episodes for Thursday and Friday of last week. Now, those of you that have been listening for a while know that I release podcast episodes uh, five times a week, right? Every weekday, I record them on the night before. So uh, this is Sunday evening, and I'm recording this so that it'll be ready on Monday morning for your commute, if that's when you want to listen to the podcast. Um, I'm starting to realize that a lot of people are also binge listening to the podcast. So you might not listen to it all, you know, when it's released on that day, but you might listen to two or three of them all at one time. So, and that's kind of cool too. But for those of you that are looking for something preparedness related every single day, and that was my goal is to release something uh, every morning or at least in the evening, really late in the evening so that you would have it in the morning. Now, this last week, things were crazy. Life just happened, man. On Wednesday, our church did a outreach. We do one uh, every so often, and we do one to feed the homeless down in the Montrose area of town. And by the time we got home, it was just super late. By the time I, I got to a point where I could record, and it was just really, really late. I was beat. Uh, it was a long week, and so I didn't get to do it. Thursday, my son graduated from high school, and so they had a very late graduation. It started at 8 o'clock p.m., and there's a big graduate, graduation class, and by the time we got home, again, it was super late, and I was like, I was kicking myself. I'm like, I've never done this before, right? But it just, I, I couldn't. I, I didn't have the, the strength uh, to just kind of push through, and at the same time, it was just so late, and you know, recording that on Thursday night with uh, work in the morning. It just was uh, just a little too much. So I'm like, you know what? I think people will be okay with it and will forgive me if I miss two episodes, especially two episodes back to back in a week. But you know, there's a lot of episodes there. I believe we're like, this is episode 583. And so there's a lot of episodes there. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, you can go back and listen to a lot of the other ones. Of course, the podcast has you know, transformed over the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good thing, trying to get better. But there's just a lot of content out there. So if you're looking for, for more stuff, and we're always trying to bring out new content and basically our articles that we read on the podcast are articles that are taken from Prepper website. And that is the, you know, the website that we update 24-7 with somewhere between 6 to 12 articles every single night. And, you know, we we just grab the articles from there. And I'm trying really hard to bring things out. So, you know, sometimes on a podcast, you can hear the same kind of message over and over again, trying to bring out different things. And so that's, again, what I'm doing with this one that I'm reading on today's podcast. It comes to us from PreppersWill.com. 
And the article is entitled Tactics and Decision Making in a Self-Defense Situation. So let's go ahead and jump into this one. And I have some commentary for you on the backside. Almost all shooting school instructors teach that the conditioned reflex is supreme in a self-defense situation. In armed confrontations, you will, under stress, react as you've programmed yourself to do. This is true as repeated practice builds a set of conditioned reflexes which can serve you well in deadly danger. Conditioned reflexes have their problems though. Often a self-defense situation requires decision making, not a reflex to open fire. If you're awakened by a noise, it may be a night intruder or a member of your family moving about. This is why giving yourself a space-time cushion is vital. You need time to observe, think, and decide on a course of action. There are tactics to give you this space and time you need to evaluate the situation. The following won't give you the answer to every self-defense situation, but some useful guidelines to help you improvise. Now, deadly encounters don't usually burst upon you. There are warning signs prior to an attack. Recognizing these, interpreting them properly, and giving yourself a margin of safety will often help you avoid the two dangers, becoming a victim or using deadly force without justification. The need to avoid being a victim is obvious, but the aftermath of a shooting is unpleasant for the survivor too. Unlike in the movies, he doesn't holster his gun and walks away into the sunset. He has to explain the incident to the police and often has the unpleasant feeling of being treated like a suspect himself. He might find that, under the law, his shooting didn't quite fit the legal definition of self-defense situation, making him open to prosecution. Now, tactically, space and time are very interchangeable. An assailant needs time to cover the space between himself and you to develop his attack. You need to put enough space between yourself and him to give yourself time to forestall, block, or ward off the attack. Delaying an assailant's progress can give you the time to escape if that's the best course. There are practical ways to enlarge your space-time cushion, ways which will enhance your safety in a self-defense situation. In traditional military terms, the defender has the advantage because he's dug in and the attacker has to advance, exposing himself to carry out the attack. This doesn't translate well into civilian life, where the defender's not behind fortifications and is often as exposed as his attacker. The assailant tries to employ surprise, closing in before showing his intention, to gain every possible second of advantage. If the aggressor can't approach without alerting his intended victim, space translates into time. Space equals time. Therefore, the more space you can keep between you and danger, the more you have working for you. It's not always possible because real life rarely follows a prepared plan, and you must be aware of this and cope with it. A subway car or staircase, for example, gives you little room to move. In such situations, you must be more alert and aware as a substitute for distance and time. Now, the weapons you have available in a crisis are the ones which you go to war with. Despite all of the information and the various opinions about which caliber has the best stopping power, individual ability to use it still is the most important factor. It's not what you've got, it's what you do with it that counts. Now being familiar and proficient with your weapon, whatever it may be, is vital. This includes being able to draw and fire without taking your eyes off the target. An armed confrontation is not a shooting match. There's no place for focusing on the front sight or some of the other techniques that are useful in competition. You need to watch the threat as it develops 
and to scan the area for other dangers as from accomplices. So how do you gain the early warning? A felonious assault can occur anywhere, at home or outside the home. The victim, taken by surprise, has a grave tactical disadvantage. If he is able to resist at all, it's only by quick reflexive action. This jeopardizes his chances of making the right decision, endangering him and perhaps his family. This is why it's essential to get an early warning before an attack comes with sudden danger. At home, it's not enough to keep the doors and windows locked. It's wise to do so, but intruders can break in regardless. An alarm system helps, but few people have them. There are simpler measures which will give early warning. The key elements are sound and light. Outside lighting helps if anyone's awake to see it. It can silhouette an intruder against a window or a doorway. More important is sound, though. Now, inside your home, Venetian blinds on every window will rattle in case of forced entry. Intruders have tricks such as using duct tape or wet newspaper to suppress the noise of breaking glass, but Venetian blinds are not as easy to overcome. Small items, knickknacks on the windowsill, will make noise when an intruder knocks them to the floor. So will potted plants. Arrange the furniture so that every window is obstructed and the intruder can't simply climb over the sill and set foot on the floor. Anything light that's easy to knock over and that makes noise when falling will serve the purpose. In this regard, the worst thing to put under a window is a couch with soft cushions that will take the intruder's weight without alerting you. If there must be a couch next to a window, leave a large enough gap so that the intruder will find it easier to set foot on the floor. Now, keeping some items, such as roller skates or a vacuum cleaner, behind the couch will make a booby trap for the intruder without causing any danger for those who live there. A houseplant in a large, fragile vase will also make noise. Now, Don't overlook the advantage of a small but noisy dog who barks when anyone approaches. A dog can serve as a deterrent because the intruder has to consider the prospect that the householder's been awakened and may be lying in wait for him or calling the police. Use the space inside of your home to the best of your advantage, combining the layout with obstructions to delay the intruders getting to you. If your bedroom is upstairs, a folding child's gate across the stairs will delay him, especially if there are some bells on it. He won't be able to negotiate it without noise. Now keep your bedroom door locked. This can be troublesome for you, but it's more troublesome for the intruder because it will give you time to get fully awake and to get a weapon in your hand. Now, keeping the bedroom door locked is best if there are no children in the home, but if there are, it can be counterproductive. An intruder, if he gets to the bedroom doors without awakening you, can try each doorknob and he's more likely to go into an unlocked room to avoid the noise of breaking in. This can direct him into the children's room, which dangerously complicates the situation. Now, what about outside your home? Outdoors, your alertness will vary with the situation. If you have to go into a high-risk area, take precautions. If driving, keep your doors locked and try to avoid being boxed in by traffic. Street gangs face a serious problem if the motorist stays in his car and if the situation deteriorates, the car itself is an effective weapon. The kinetic energy of a moving vehicle is far more than that of a bullet from the most powerful weapon. If walking, stay away from the building line, avoiding doorways and entrances to alleys. Parked cars can also conceal an assailant, and walking down the center of the sidewalk is the best compromise. Crossing the street often to the other sidewalk helps prevent an attacker's predicting your path and planning an ambush. In buildings, 
Be especially wary in closed spaces such as hallways, elevators, and staircases. If followed on foot, turn around suddenly and walk in the other direction, towards your tail. He may be an innocent passerby, but scrutinizing him closely as you approach is far better than waiting blindly as he catches up to you from the rear. This seems to contradict the principle of keeping your distance, but tactically it's better to scan the person carefully and evaluate the situation than to wait blindly. The about face also throws the potential attacker off his stride as he will lose the advantage of approaching his intended victim from the rear. He'll have to decide quickly between abandoning his plan or making a frontal attack under the watchful eye of his victim. If an attack develops, get something between yourself and your assailant. This is critically important if he has a contact weapon, such as a club or a knife. Distance means safety in such cases. A car, bench, mailbox, or even a phone booth will keep him from getting to you easily. If possible, get behind cover, but even if no cover is available, anything which will obstruct him will give you a few precious moments to think. So let's talk about cover and concealment in a self-defense situation. Tacticians view cover as protection from gunfire and concealment as protection from being seen. There are also more than that. Both can buy you time in a self-defense situation. If an intruder is unaware that you're there and watching him, he won't have a target. Without a threat to your life, there's no urgency to open fire. This is extra protection against a mistaken identification and helps to prevent the tragedy that can follow when a householder shoots at a moving shadow in the dark. Staying behind cover or concealment gives you not only time to identify the target but to evaluate the situation. This is the moment to plan whether or not to open fire and when. Not all situations require deadly force, and much of the decision hinges on the individual's inclination apart from the law. A defender may decide not to shoot if the offender is young or if he's about to leave. A defender taking cover or concealment gives him time to think and denies it to the aggressor. This is using surprise against the intruder. Skilled gun handlers have a technique known as the stroke, drawing and firing in one quick fluid motion pressing the trigger as soon as the weapon comes up into line. This is very fast and efficient, but it's tactically unsound in many cases. It can lead to shooting someone who's merely reaching for a handkerchief and the distasteful complications that follow such a mistake. There's a need to plan the appropriate response for each situation. This doesn't mean taking hours for deliberation because there are only three types of responses possible and the situation will usually eliminate one or more possibility at the outset. The three are warning, counterattack, and flee. So let's look at warning. In the home or outside, displaying a weapon will often deter an attack and eliminate the need to open fire. We have to follow the principle of using minimal force for two reasons. It's the law in many jurisdictions and it's also simpler practically. A mugger with a knife who suddenly sees a gun appear in the hand of his prospective victim and breaks off the attempt has solved the problem for the victim. It's easier to walk away from a self-defense situation in which a shooting did not happen than to explain a body to the police. In many situations, there are no witnesses. This is both good and bad. It's bad if it becomes necessary to justify self-defense as corroborating witnesses can be very helpful. It's good if you want to walk away from a situation without hassle. In some large cities, persuading the mugger to leave quietly is the best course of action. Some citizens carry weapons for protection in jurisdictions where they're forbidden. 
This automatically brings complications, no matter how much legal justification there may be for a self-defense situation. In some jurisdictions, carrying a concealed weapon is a felony. This is where having time helps. You need time to draw the weapon. The attacker needs time to see it and to think the situation over. You can, by displaying the weapon and by body language, show him that you're willing and able to defend yourself effectively. A street smart thug will usually realize that he should seek an easier target and leave you be. Fire a warning shot, or not. Most current thinking is against it, and the householder also has to consider that the bullet has to go somewhere, perhaps into an adjoining apartment. He's also the one who will have to patch the wall or buy a new TV if it's in the way of his warning shot. So next up is a counterattack during a self-defense situation. If you decide to open fire in a self-defense situation, you need time for several reasons. In the home, the most important one is to avoid endangering innocent people who most likely will be family members. You need to know where everyone is and that the noise in the kitchen is truly that of an intruder, not someone raiding the refrigerator. Tragic mistakes don't happen as often as the anti-gun people claim, but if one happens to you, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Unless you live alone, a family can be both a liability and an asset. While they're in potential danger, relatives can phone the police while you prepare to meet the intruder. Again, this takes time. Time enables you to identify the target. It also gives you time to place the shot properly. A study by the New York Police Department way back showed that in armed confrontations, even trained police officers hit with only 25 to 35% of their shots. The felons did even worse, scoring only 10% hits. This shows that shooting on the range and under stress are two very different tasks and that under pressure it's easy to miss. It's important to be forewarned about this because wild shots in a built-up area can endanger innocent people. The intruder may not care, but the householder does. Taking that extra second to place the shot properly is essential. Safeguarding innocent people has two facets avoiding stray shots, and putting the intruder down before he can open fire. One well-placed hit is tactically better than several misses with a wild firefight developing afterward. This is also a point to consider when buying a weapon. A large magazine capacity seems attractive, but not always helpful. Only hits count. It helps to rest the weapon on something. Under stress, the adrenaline pumps hard, and there may be muscular tremors. Stabilizing the weapon gives that badly needed edge. And then lastly, flee. Running away from danger in a self-defense situation is not macho. Well, that's the biggest mental barrier that the defender has to overcome. However, in some instances, it's smart. Standing and fighting when outnumbered, for example, is not brave. It's stupid. Discretion really is the better part of valor. There's another aspect. You may choose to stand and fight, but if your family is with you, you'll want to get them out of danger. On the street, having your wife take the kids and run while you delay the pursuer is one way of coping with the danger. In the home, your plan may include having your family seek refuge at a neighbor's while you cover their escape. You need time to give them the distance. In some instances, fleeing is tactically and practically justified. An assailant with a knife, for example, must be within reach to harm you. If the situation allows you to back up a few steps, you'll gain time to dissuade the attacker and to stop the attack, if it comes. Turning and running, especially if the attacker knows you're armed, can be a lifesaver. The attacker knowing you're armed will have to contend with the possibility that in pursuing you, he may run into an ambush. 
He'll have to follow cautiously and slowly, which may enable you to get away completely. If running results in pursuit and you feel that you can't reach safety, setting up a hasty ambush may be your only choice. Now, waiting for the attacker around a corner, preferably behind cover, will give you a good position from which to confront him. It's important, but not essential, to be out of sight for a moment. If there's no corner but good cover available, getting behind it will do very well, even if he has a gun. If he has a knife or a club, no cover is necessary, only enough distance to enable you to stop him if he continues. In that regard, it's tactically essential to turn and fight before he catches up to you. Running away from a self-defense situation can also avoid trouble with the law. We've already covered the prospect of armed citizens in jurisdictions with restrictive firearm laws. Now, residents of large cities say cynically, the cops are never there when you need them. However, once there are shots fired, people seem to come out of the woodwork, and there are so many cops that it seems like a St. Patrick's Day parade. At the very least, the defender can expect to spend an unpleasant night at the police station. At worst, he faces arrest and prosecution. This is why a macho attitude can be unproductive. It's good for the ego, but often not practical. A realistic response to a bad situation, even if it means retreat, is often better. It's possible to integrate various defensive measures into your lifestyle to protect yourself without making your home look like a fortress and without yielding the streets to the bad guys. So in conclusion, intelligence and discretion, as well as an understanding of tactics, will enable you to protect yourself more effectively and to protect your family in a self-defense situation. Reflexes are not enough. Forethought and the ability to improvise using the basic building blocks of tactics are vital. These take time. Give yourself time to think and act in the self-defense situation. Well, guys, I think this is a great article because it should encourage us to be a little bit more aware of what is going on, a little bit more aware of our surroundings when we go out. Now, I've said this before. I think as the economy gets worse, we are going to see more people getting robbed and you know more break-ins and more things along those lines. And it's very important for us while we're out there not to be distracted, is to keep an eye on what is happening. Because I love what this article said. You know, you might have a mugger who is planning on doing some harm, but if they know that you are aware of, of them, then they might go on to somebody else. It's the same idea with homes. And we've talked about this many times, building layers into your home so that when someone is checking out your home to break into it and they say, you know what, they have an apart or they have an alarm, uh, they have a dog, they have this, they have that. You know what, I'm going to go to a house that doesn't have all of that. That's a little bit easier to get into, right? And the same idea is when someone is looking to mug you or to take your, you know, to take your valuables, whatever, rob you. And so they're watching you watch them, right? And so they're like, I don't want to mess with that person over there because I lose my the ability to surprise them because they're not paying attention. So we stay off of our phones, right? And we're, we're a little bit more aware of what's going on. We're watching what is happening. And I think that it boils down to that. And I think we need to train ourselves to do that more and more, you know, uh, people get on the phone and, and there's their phones are just, you know, they have their heads buried into the phone or they're talking they have the phone up to their ear. 
and they're talking and they're not paying attention. You know, when you put your phone up to your ear and you're talking, if you don't have like a Bluetooth, whatever, you take out that peripheral vision, you know, whatever side you are, you know, you have the phone up to your ear, you take that out of the equation. And so, you know, that's not always good. And then being on, even if it's like a Bluetooth microphone or a headset or whatever, and, and, you know, microphone, you're still, you're still distracted because you're carrying on a conversation with someone, you know, how did people survive before cell phones? <laughs> you know, that's one of those things. It's like, you can tell someone, Hey, I need to call you back and just call them back so that you can give full attention to what's going on. And again, same thing with your home. You know, you want to build those layers into it. I think it's smart to be, uh, you know, be very wary of what it's like for uh, someone to come in through a window. We don't always think like that. We don't always, you know, because our minds aren't made to, to break into somebody's house. That's not usually the thing that we want to do. But go around your home. How easy would it be for someone to get into your home? And I like the idea of the Venetian blinds. And even if you added little bells to them, like you go to one of the hobby stores and you order some bells, you put some bells on your Venetian blinds. I mean, they don't even have to show from the, you know, from the from the outside. Uh, they can be behind the Venetian blinds. But, you know, when you when you move them, they will cause some kind of bell, whatever, jingle or whatever, and cause you to, to know what's going on and that people are moving those. And I, I like the ideas of having little knickknacks and things that can break to the floor and make a, a loud sound. Um, you know, that's that's cool, too. I know a lot of people don't want to pay for monitoring, uh, monitoring an alarm system, right? Like back in the day, I mean, that was pretty much the only way that you can do it. Nowadays, you can buy from Amazon or you can buy online and you can, uh, you know, there's a lot of do-it-yourself uh, things that you can do. And uh, I would just investigate it a little bit and find the best one for you. But the idea is you want to, something to make noise so that people will think twice about, or if they hear the noise go off, they break a window or whatever, then it scares them off, right? Again, you're thinking about your family and protection. You don't want to have to deal with a broken window, but you'd rather deal with a broken window than someone losing their life or you know one of your kids being harmed or something along those lines. So there's a lot of different ways and things that you can do to help secure your house, and you want to make sure that you do that. Well, everyone, that is it for this article and another episode. Hey, if you want to go review this article, again, it's from PreppersWill.com. I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go and check it out and maybe focus a little bit more on one specific thing that kind of you know brought something up to your attention to, to keep your family and keep yourself a little bit more safe. Well, that's another episode in the books. Hey, guys, don't forget to subscribe to the show you can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or search for The Prepper Website Podcast in your podcast catcher. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a link in the show notes so that you can join the Prepper Website email list. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.